Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, if you have your Bibles with you today. If you don't, uh, we have gift Bibles for you in the aisle. Please take one. And the Bible reading from uh, the Bible in the aisle will be page 529, if you want to follow along there. Righteousness through faith, Romans 3, 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of, because of what law? The law that requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pastor Luke. Well, today we're continuing our series through the book of Romans. And this series has been named The Big Stuff because it covers most of the big truths of Christianity. Today we're up to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, as Ray just read, which is part 6 of our series. And if you haven't been here for any of it so far, let me give you a tiny bit of background. Uh, Romans is an amazing letter written by the great Apostle Paul to an ancient church, the developing ancient church in ancient Rome. Um, if you understand Romans, you are likely to get a grip of all of Scripture because there's so much important stuff in there. But it would be fair to say that Romans gets off to a bit of a gloomy start. It seems at the outset a strange way to start a letter. Can you imagine this afternoon if I got home from church and I went to my letterbox and there was a letter there beautifully decorated by my wife and she'd addressed it to me and we're going away for a couple of nights uh, to the city this week so that's good to look forward to. But imagine she sent me a letter and in a letter I opened it up and she said, Dear Luke, in brackets, sweetie. She never calls me sweetie but that would be nice, wouldn't it? Dear Luke, sweetie, you're very dear to me. I can't wait to spend a couple of days with you. Now let me tell you about the wrath of God. God's going to judge your sin. Love you, Kim. That'd be a little bit strange, don't you think? It'd be a strange letter to receive. Or maybe it's normal for you. Maybe your wife writes those sort of letters to you all the time, depending on whether you took the bin out or not. But I think it seems a little bit strange. And that's kind of how Romans has started. 
This is how Paul starts. I love you guys. I'm looking forward to being with you guys. And then he launches into all this sort of stuff. And so I wonder, why does he launch into this darkness at the start of his letter? Well, I think the reason he does it is because Paul is highlighting the bad and the darkness and the blackness. So when he comes to the life-changing good news of the gospel, it will be even more magnificent. In the last month, we've been captivated by bad news that became good news. The bad news was of 12 boys and their soccer coach who had wandered into a cave in Thailand. We were able to get some photos out of the cave and it gave us a picture of what it was like in there. It was pretty dark and wet and dangerous and cold and overall pretty bleak. And they were there, stuck in that cave in the middle of nowhere because of no one else's fault other than their own. They'd made a decision to wander off track. They'd gone down into that cave. They had entered the darkness and now they were trapped with their lives in danger. As we kept an eye on the news, I think most of us were really worried about what might happen to them. Questions like, would they get out alive? Were they doomed or would they be rescued? And we can only imagine the emotions they were going through stuck in that dark, wet, cold cave. They were in a completely hopeless situation. One more downpour of rain in that area of the world and they would have been dead for sure. They were in some ways doomed and their only hope was a saviour to come into that cave to rescue them, to literally pull them out of the situation they had found themselves in. And so imagine the moment when they first got the first glimpse of a rescuer coming into that cave, when they saw that torchlight shining in. Imagine that moment. Imagine even more so the moment after being dragged back through that dark, wet, cold, gloomy cave that they saw the light come into the cave for the very first time. That would be a magnificent moment. And I think this is kind of what Paul is doing. In the first three and a half chapters of this letter, he's putting us in a cave. And he's showing us that we have nobody else to blame except ourselves, for finding ourselves there. We have wandered away from a God who is light and we have found ourselves in the darkness. It's the blackness of our own hearts. It's the cause of our own sin that has put us there. We're in a predicament that has been caused by ourselves and we come to the realisation by chapter 3 that there was nothing we can possibly do to get out of it on our own. I think he's been painting this bleak picture to get us to the point of understanding that we need a rescuer. We need a saviour. At this point of the letter, as these original recipients read through this letter, they would have got to this stage, and I can imagine they were thinking, we're lost in our sin. We're going to die. We have no hope for life. But today, in the middle of chapter 3, we come to the turning point in this letter, and the turning point is triggered by two critical words. They are the words, but now. But now. This is a dark situation, but now. This is the moment the light streams into the cave. This is the moment the rescuer is revealed. Dr. Leon Morris, a theologian and former principal of Ridley College in Melbourne, says of this particular passage that has been read to us today, that this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Let that sink in for a second. This is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And so no pressure today, but if this message is no good, you'll know that it's got nothing to do with the content. And it's got everything to do with the person who's delivering it. The title of the message this morning is All In. All In. Because the word all appears three times in verses 22, 23, and 24. And it's this word that makes the passage so crucial for all of us to understand. And it's probably an appropriate title for a sermon on a baptism day. All In. 
Today we have seen two guys get up here to tell you the story that they were lost in a cave spiritually. They were dead in their sins, but they met their rescuer. The rescuer saved their life, and they have declared today we are all in. We are fully immersed in Christ, and we want to live our lives for him. That is a wonderful thing. And so the word all is a vital word in this passage, and it appears the first time in verse 22 where we're told that there is a righteousness that is available to all who believe. Now, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is right standing before God. It's talking about relationship with our Creator. For our Creator to look at us and say, yes, they are righteous. Yes, they are forgiven. Yes, they are innocent of their sin. That is what it is to be righteous before God. And so it flows on to our next question. How can we possibly be right with God? Well, immediately leading up to this passage, Paul has been talking specifically to a Jewish audience. The Jews were God's chosen people, and they were chosen to be a blessing to all nations on earth. And over time, the Jews, they came to see themselves as God's favorites. And because they've been given the Ten Commandments, God's law, they, they took great confidence from that, believing that they were keeping the law. Therefore, they had earned a relationship with God. And so in their lives, they had been puffed up with pride. They sort of thought to themselves, well, we have the law. That woke some of you up. We've been circumcised, an external covenant of this relationship with God. We've been good people. We've kept the law. We're God's favourites. This is how they thought that they'd earned a relationship with God. And you know what? It's very similar for us at times. We think, oh, well, we're good people. We say nice things. We may even go to church. And so we puff ourselves up with pride, thinking that somehow, because of our goodness, we've earned a relationship with a God who is perfect and holy in every single way. We come to this point in the story, and in chapter 2, a part we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Paul showed these people who put all their faith in the law and keeping the law, he showed them that they were actually no better than anyone else because they were breaking the law all the time. And so the law that they take great confidence in having was actually like a mirror into their own hearts. And as they looked into the law, it simply reflect back into their own hearts, showing them that they were falling short of the law they had put their confidence in. And so in chapter 2, what Paul did is he came to these people that were puffed up with pride. And I think this morning he'd speak to us as well and say, if you are puffed up with pride, thinking that you can earn a relationship with God, you can't. And what he does is he essentially gets the pin and he pops that pride. And all of a sudden, they're left realizing... That there's nothing they can do. You can keep that balloon. There's nothing they can do to earn a relationship with God. They were failing in so many ways. This was a problem because the law is what they'd been trusting in for a relationship with God. And they realized by looking at the law that it actually revealed that they weren't worthy of a relationship with God based on their own behavior. They'd fallen short like everybody else. And it's the same for us. The common factor or problem for every person who has ever lived throughout all of humanity apart from Jesus himself is sin. Sin is the common factor. It's a thing that we have in common together. And it's a problem because God is a holy God. And because he's holy, he can't tolerate sin. He is light and we are dark. And he cannot coexist. Light and dark don't coexist. And so we set ourselves apart from God. And our sin forms an obstacle between us and a holy God, and it stops us from being in relationship with him. And so we're reminded in this passage today that we are all in this together. 
We are in the same predicament. At the end of today's chapter, Paul clearly notes that nobody can boast because nobody has kept the law. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or an Australian or an African or Spanish or American or from Timbuktu. We're all lost in a cave and we have no hope of escape on our own. This was a huge revelation for these people. It's a huge revelation for us as well. But for them, it was huge because they were assuming they were okay with God because of their heritage. And so I can imagine the Jewish recipients who received this letter thinking to themselves, if being good is not going to get us a relationship with God, if we're actually not better than everyone else like we thought because we can't even keep the law, what is going to help us to have a relationship with God? And this is the turning point that we come to that I referred to a moment ago. And it starts with those words, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, this is significant because they've been putting their trust and hope in the law and keeping the law. But this passage reveals, no, no, now apart from the law, put that aside for a moment. You've been trying to keep yourself righteous by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets actually point to anyway. And so I imagine their ears would have pricked up at this moment, thinking this is really interesting. How can we be righteous apart from keeping all those rules and regulations? Well, what was implicit in verse 21 now becomes explicit in verse 22. This is the moment when light pierces the darkness. This is the moment when the Saviour who can save us and make us right with God is finally revealed. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Here's the encouraging news with the first all. All of us, everyone in this room, has the opportunity to be right before God and it's not achieved by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not achieved by simply being a good person. That comes as a, as a relationship with God develops. But it's not because of all those things. It's given through faith in Jesus, the rescuer, and it's received by all who believe by faith. That's incredibly good news. It's for all of us. Jewish, non-Jewish. Been to church, never been to church. From a wonderful family, from a difficult family. Been a good person, been a bad person. Doesn't matter. We're all in this together. And being right with God who created us and so desperately desires relationship with you, it's not dependent on you. It comes solely from Christ. And this is what Romans is all about. It reveals a righteousness that's not of our own. Thank goodness, because if we were relying on our own righteousness to be right with God, we'd never make it. And so Romans is revealing to us that a righteousness has been revealed from heaven in the, in the form of a person called Jesus Christ who has come and he's lived and he's died and he's risen again. And when we put our faith in him, we can be declared righteous, not because of us, but because of him. And it's wonderfully good news. This would have been a great relief to all who read this letter. And Paul explains why in the second all, verse 23 is probably the most famous verse in this chapter. It says, For all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, maybe you're sitting here today thinking, well, not me. I'm actually pretty good. Yep, there's some bad people out there. I can look around this room and I can see some other sinners here this morning. But I'm actually okay. I don't need Jesus because I do good stuff. I support charity. I'm a nice person. Overall, I'm okay. Thanks anyway. Well, Paul says in this passage, no, 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 no. All of us, even you, righteous one, even you, Jewish person, even you, churchgoer, 
Even you have fallen short. No matter how good you've been, you're a lawbreaker and you've fallen short of the glory of God. This morning, if Mother Teresa was alive and she was still here this morning, an inspiring woman who gave her whole life to serving the poor and broken in the slums of Calcutta, if she sat here this morning and she was relying on relationship with God by how good she's been, even she would fall short. And this morning you go, well, I'm not Mother Teresa. Exactly the point. If she fell short, we're going to fall short as well. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we saw this explicitly in the verses that Rowan shared in last week's sermon. Listen to Paul's words. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, there's that word again, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now people might read a passage like that and say, well, that seems pretty harsh. But to me, it reminds me of what I saw on the news last night. We can all kick up a fuss, but I think deep down we know that we're all in this together. We all naturally gravitate towards sin. A number of years ago, we were helping a person in the local community who was being evicted from their home, and they asked us to come and help move out all of their possessions from the house into storage. And I was hoping to get to the house during the week to find out what we were up for, but the person was sick, so we couldn't get to visit during the week. And so we rocked up on a Saturday morning, myself and a few dedicated volunteers from the church, and we worked up to this, prop- this property And it would be fair to say what confronted us was something beyond what we could ever have imagined. So we followed this person into the house and we started to observe what was happening inside that residence. Every room there was full to the brim with stuff. There were over 40 birds. There were dogs, cats, feces, boxes, furniture, unwashed dishes piled all over the kitchen. You couldn't even see the kitchen anymore. Unwashed clothes just strewn right throughout the house. You literally had to edge your way through like piles of junk on the house just to follow that person to the destination they were taking us to. As I led some volunteers down a very narrow passage surrounded by walls literally made of junk, the smell finally hit me. And it was so bad that I realised I was physically going to vomit. And so I turned around. I didn't want the property owner to see that. I didn't want to offend that person. So I politely turned around, but there were five volunteers behind me in a very narrow passage. And so my politeness quickly turned to panic, and I started shoving them out the front door. And I was pushing my way towards the front door, and I ran towards the light. At that point, I didn't know whether I died and I was running toward the light of heaven or whether I was running towards the front door, but I ran to the light, and I got out, and I looked at the front yard, and I realized this isn't heaven. And so I ran around the corner and I vomited everywhere. The sad thing was you couldn't even tell. There was so much junk everywhere, seriously. It was a very, very sad situation. And so we spent, you know, now I think about that experience and on certain days when the wind blows a certain way, I can still smell it in my nostrils. It was kind of indelible. The outside, that was just the inside of the house. The outside looked like a war zone. There's junk everywhere, multiple sheds filled to the brim, buckets full of animal poo that was mouldy. The stench was absolutely dreadful. And so we spent the day and we salvaged what we could and we took it to storage. And then we hired a big skip and we started the task of throwing out so much junk. It was a case of extreme hoarding. And as I pondered how diabolical that house was, 
it occurred to me that the house didn't start that way. When that person moved into the house, it was like every other house. It wasn't a perfect house, but it was generally clean and tidy. But over time, bit by bit, year by year, the rubbish continued to pile up. We know know this ourselves when we move house, how much we kind of accumulate over time. And it accumulated over years and years to the point where it became completely overwhelming and that person was at the stage that they needed help. They couldn't get themselves, possibly, out of that predicament on their own. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul, in the first part of Romans chapter 3, highlights that this is kind of like our lives. We all fall short because we just keep accumulating sin in our lives over and over again. Every time we lie or gossip, every time we cheat or steal, every time we hurt one another, every time we misuse sex and power, it all piles up and the shame comes and it starts to feel kind of overwhelming. We hoard sin in our lives and the result is that we fall short of the glory of God. And so what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? Well, we're all created to live in the glory of God. When you pick up your Bible and you look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the first two chapters, we read about the first two human beings that were created, Adam and Eve. And we read their story in the first two chapters, and it seems pretty amazing. Like what they were living in and enjoying was incredible. Before any sin had occurred, they lived in in amazing freedom. And so we read their stories, and and this is what their story was like, that much of the whole Bible. And we read about their lives, and it was incredible. They were naked in the garden, but they felt no shame. It was all hanging out there. They didn't care. They weren't self-conscious. They weren't hiding from one another. They weren't hiding from God. They were completely free. They were transparent. They were honest with one another. They were at peace with all the animals and with all of creation. There was no conflict with anybody anywhere. Can you imagine our world today? If you took out every single bit of conflict in our world, man, we wouldn't even recognize it. There was no pollution in the air. There was no anger, violence, pain, no anxiety or depression in their lives, no boredom, no suffering, no sin, no death. In fact, it says that Adam and Eve walked and talked in an intimate relationship with God right there in the garden incredible relationship. It's a beautiful scenario, a relationship that we as humans were designed to enjoy with our creator and all that lasted for two chapters, this much of the Bible. See how thick the Bible is, that much explains their story in the garden and it all changed the moment that they decided to reject God as king. And they said, yep, this is amazing, but thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. We can do this on our own. We don't need you. We can be our own God. We don't need people speaking to our lives. We don't need God. We can just do this on our own. And that moment, as they rebelled against the God who created them, sin entered creation and everything changed forever. And so the rest of this book, you know, it's a pretty big book. The rest of this book actually highlights the results of that decision and their sin. And it's also highlighted by our sin as well. We've all contributed to it. And so the rest of this book talks about the mess we've created and how God is creating a way for us to come out of that mess again. And it's not until about two-thirds of the way through this book, where the red letters are, that we encounter a guy by the name of Jesus, God in human form, the perfect sinless Son of God, who left the glory of heaven and he came down into the mess. And we read about this guy that was not just a great man or a good teacher, but he was our rescuer, he was our saviour. And he came and lived and he died on the cross in our place so that we could once again experience what we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but in all its perfection when he returns for those that have put their faith in him. As Christians, that's our hope. 
I mean, life sucks at times, let's be honest. Life is really difficult. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. That's what life is like in a fallen world. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of what he's created for us. Our whole lives, doesn't matter how old you are in this room, none of us have ever experienced the fullness of the life that we were created to enjoy. And the reason is because of our own sin. That's a tragedy. Jesus is making a way out. And so Jesus stepped into the darkness of this world. Why did he step into this story? Well, he had to because God's wrath, which we've heard about in chapters 1 and 2, his righteous anger against sin and injustice, is being poured out on those who have sinned. And the truth is that all of us have contributed to that and each of us deserve to pay the consequences of that. God being a righteous God in his holiness has to punish sin. That's what we know as justice. And so we become the objects of God's wrath. Because we are the ones who have done wrong. We are the ones that have fallen short. But Jesus, through his death on the cross, he stands in front of us and he stretches out his hands. And he says, let me take the punishment for you. This is what verse 25 and verse 26 teach. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, the one that makes amends for our sins, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before Unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so he stands in front of us, he stretches out his hands, and he says, I've got this. The perfect, sinless Son of God said, I will die in your place. And on the cross, the justice of God was appeased because all the punishment deserved for our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And he stretched out his hands and he said, it's finished. I've paid the price for you. That's the wonderful news of the gospel, that even though we fall short of the glory of God, we can come to be righteous before God the Father because of what God the Son did on the cross. And we can have the hope for that paradise to be restored for each and every one of us. That's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. And it brings us to the last all in this passage, that all are justified freely by grace. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace, that's undeserved love, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. My grandfather is now 93 years of age. He's a wonderful man. He's coming to preach here in a few weeks, part of our Roman series. And in a great coincidence today, he's preaching at a little church called Rokeby, and he's preaching on exactly the same passage I'm preaching on today. And so if you're not enjoying this, get his podcast. It'll probably be much better. (laughs) He's had a lot more practice than me. He's an incredible man of faith. And um, I hope and pray when I'm in my 90s that my faith will be just as strong as his. Every time I get together, all he wants to do is talk about theology. His eyes light up when he talks about what Jesus has done in his life. It's just absolutely incredible. Recently, I was having a conversation with him about theology and particularly about this word that comes up in this passage, the word justification. The justification, it says in this passage that we're all justified freely by grace. Justification is simply this. It's something that happens in our lives and we become in God's eyes, by no work of our own, but by the work of Jesus, just as if we'd never sinned. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinner, he doesn't see failure, he doesn't see someone who's fallen short. When we put our faith in Jesus, he looks at us and it's just as if we've never sinned. The Bible calls us saints. And I like that because I beg for the saints. And it calls us holy. 
and it calls us righteous. Well, spend two minutes with yourself and you'll realize that's not a good description of you. And it's not a good description of me. But it's the description we have in Christ. We're all justified freely by grace. It's just as if we'd never sinned. I was talking to Granddad about this and he told me a story that his granddad had shared with him years before. Now, Granddad's granddad was a Scottish man. So a shout out to Jen Clement down the back. Have any more Scots here today? No one willing to put their hand up. Okay. <laughs> but Granddad's granddad, this Scottish man, shared this story with Granddad that he was present in the last ever public hanging in the public square in Scotland. Now, I don't know the name of the man who was hung. Let's just say Angus McDoodle. Does it sound Scottish or Irish? Same thing. Now I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. The wrath of Jen is being poured out on sinners up the front. But I don't know what crime he committed, but he'd gone before the, the court of law and the judge had been there and he pronounced a punishment on this guy and he said, you, for what you've done, the crime you've committed, the penalty you deserve is the death penalty by hanging in the public square. And so my great-grandfather was present on that day and Angus was hung there first thing in the morning. And he was left there for the whole day in the public square. We are horrified by that, but they did that for a reason. They did that to highlight the crime he committed and the penalty for that crime to try and deter others. And so there Angus hung in the public square nearly the whole entire day until later in the day someone came, took his body down, and they hung up a sign in his place. Now we would wonder what that sign would say, and we would think it would say something like this, that Angus McDougall was condemned for his crime at 6am on this day. But that's not what the sign read. The sign read like this. It said, Angus McDougall was justified at 6am on this day. And what they did is they took a big red marker and they went to the public record of his crime and they put a big line through it. As far as the law was concerned, it was just as if Angus McDougall had never committed that crime because the punishment had been paid. It's an incredible thing to think about for us. His penalty was paid in full. He was justified. You and I today here become, uh, because of our sin, like Angus McDougall. We stand in the great court of God and we stand there before Jesus on judgment day. And the only verdict that could be rightly handed down based on our lives is guilty. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans, 3, uh, Romans 6 verse 23 says the wages of our sin is death. All of that sin that accumulates in our life over the minutes, over the days, over the weeks, over the years, leads us all in our own lives to a guilty verdict. But here's the glorious news of the, good, of the gospel. This is the good news. This is the but now. This is the turning point of the passage that Christ died in our place and he took the punishment we deserve. And all we need to do is put our faith in the one who took our place and the punishment is absorbed by him and at the same time, the righteousness of God is given to us. We are declared right with God. Not by a bunch of rules and regulations. Not by being perfect. Not by being Jewish. Not by being religious. Not by coming to church. But simply by faith in Christ. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. This is what we've celebrated here this morning. Chris Dale and Matt Morgan and have stood up here and gone into the baptismal tank and they've declared their faith in Jesus. And before God, when God looks at those two incredible young men 
It's just as if they've never sinned. Because the righteousness of God has been revealed and given to them in Christ by faith. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.